Actually, not on the tour, but the Giro d'Italia, the last stage in Milan one year, a guy grabbed my glasses off my head right in front of me. So I should give them back now, and he didn't, so I'll give him a quick one, and then <laughs> I've got my glasses back, I'll give you that much. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 71 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about quick ones. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And another review to get us underway this week, Best Performance Cycling Podcast. Five stars from Steve Ake in Switzerland. Semi-Pro tackles a wide range of key cycling subjects with straight talking Aussie attitude. Damien delves into research and interviews key people to get the facts and every episode is fast paced and jam packed with useful info. Keep up the great work. Steve, you keep up the great work. Thank you very much for taking the time out to write that review. I really do appreciate it and a reminder to you that if you do like the show, please take some time out to write us a review on iTunes because five stars make the scat man go Thank you very much. So the articles that I've rounded up this week from the entire interwebs and funneled them down into two beauties. The first one, talking yourself out of exhaustion, the effects of self-talk on endurance performance. It's a very interesting study that has just been released over the last month or so from the group of Samuel Makoka. He decided to look at the effects of self-talk on endurance performance. It's a very familiar sports psychology strategy that is very popular but has seldom been tested in isolation. The study design took 24 volunteers and gave them a cycling test to exhaustion and then gave half of them a two-week self-talk intervention and then they did another test to exhaustion to see if they improved relative to the controls. In this case, the answer is yes and the self-talk group lasted 18% longer while the control group stayed the same. Also, their RPE on a 10-point scale climbed more slowly in the self-talk group. In other words, they were able to convince themselves that the exercise felt easier. So what did the self-talk involve? It actually just involved half an hour of writing down self-talk statements that they'd already used in the past and then there were suggested ones that they could use. They took those and they chose their four favorite motivational statements, two for early stages like feeling good and the other two for later stages like push through this. Then over the next two weeks they use those in their own training and that is pretty much it. So that is something you can probably take away right now and do if you were to sit down after this episode and you would hopefully get the same result that they got. The second article that I am recommending today is called The Importance of cadence and it's a quick and easy way to find out what your ideal cadence is according to the person that wrote it. It's a test that if you find a flat stretch of rope that takes approximately 10 to 15 minutes to complete after a 20 minute warm up do one lap at 80 rpm then on a different day 85 under the same conditions and then 90 and so on and so on try to maintain the same speed and then compare your heart rates and the lap with the lowest heart rate is your ideal cadence well apparently it's your ideal cadence i just thought it was a quick and dirty way to see where you sit 
in your efficiency and do you improve over time? It is really a simple method, but definitely something to throw into the tool bag. And if you're interested in testing it out, go and do it. Okay, so the nuts and bolts this week, the dangers of endurance sports. That is a pretty big call, and it's even funnier considering the last episode, I spoke about putting a substance into your body, alcohol, which in comparison to this week's topic, you are able to have better agency over a substance like alcohol and its possible effects on your training. But what if I said that the very thing that we love to do is bad for us? That's right, cycling or in fact any endurance activity at all. My name is James O'Keefe. I'm a cardiologist in Kansas City at the Mid-America Heart Institute, uh, St. Luke's Hospital. Uh, I am a clinical cardiologist, professor of medicine at the University of Missouri, Kansas City and director of our preventive cardiology program here. James O'Keefe here is proposing just that. But before I get into that, let me discuss where this fits into the semi-pro's life and training, because I'm sure at least some part of you rides because of the health benefits. Am I right? If we go back to the scale between health and performance, which I speak about all the freaking time, the balance for longevity, or at least getting the health benefits for cycling, relate to not pushing ourselves like crazy for performance gains all of the time. But because high performance to a large extent means hard training, and hard training can have adverse effects on your body, O'Keefe's take is that the difference between health and performance is more like a U-shaped curve instead of just a scale from health to performance, where health and performance are flagged on either side by unhealthy or dangerous outcomes. So thinking that the dangers of too little exercise and too much exercise have the same outcome puts hard training to perspective over the long term. Here's O'Keefe explaining where he's coming from. Now that I'm 56 and a lot of decades have gone by, I've started to have a few warning signs from my heart. A couple of years ago, I noticed this, and I got on a mission. I'm a research cardiologist, and I have a research fellow, and he and I have been working on this for the past couple of years. And with the help of uh, some of the brightest cardiologists from around the country, we um, have come to some startling new insights that seem to be emerging about exercise. So what are these startling new insights? The name of the study may give you some hint. The potential adverse cardiovascular effects from excessive endurance exercise. There's been a lot of hype around the results of this study, and in some ways, rightly so. Not that we should be running scared from one or two articles or the way that O'Keefe put these together, but that we should be open to the possibility that there is a limit that we can cross in our cycling that will do our hearts bad. And definitely, a quick disclaimer here, there aren't many studies that are looked into the relationship between exercise and long-term heart damage, and a single study or even a small set of studies is not firm proof But it doesn't stop us from having some fun with it, though. So O'Keefe et al. suggest that chronic training for and competing in extreme endurance events may cause structural changes to the heart and large arteries, leading to myocardial injury. With the help of a great article on Improvism.com, we're going to explore the question, does cardio damage your heart? 
So the idea here is not to scare you, but rather to make you aware. The evidence is not conclusive, and there's definitely no magic number when it comes to years or effort that the following information correlates to. But if you keep an eye on this material, then I definitely think in the future you will be better off because it's going to go somewhere, and there is more investigation that needs to be done. And when that happens, hopefully a clearer picture will emerge. But let's get down to what we have for now. And the nitty gritty involved with that. So cardio, the new evil, which I will define as endurance or aerobic exercise, which I know in cycling is pretty much the only type of training that you will be doing. Yes, you will be doing a bit of sprint here and there, but really anything over a minute is classed as aerobic. And for today, we're going to call it cardio. Also, regarding the study, this is referring to any activity that keeps your heart working at a moderate to high level for 30 minutes or more. You probably don't need to average much more than 30 to 60 minutes. Beyond that, it's a point of diminishing returns. And anything longer than that? What we're concerned about is people doing extreme endurance exercise, like ultra marathons, marathons, uh, 200 mile bike rides. The Tour de France. I mean, granted, these are a small minority of people, but I guess what we're trying to clear up is that this is not really conducive to great long-term cardiovascular health. Do you fall into one of those categories? It may not be the tour, but long rides it could be, and regularly, maybe even 24-hour mountain bike races fall into this category. I don't imagine that you do fall into this category, but keep listening because this is where it starts to get interesting. So here's what O'Keefe is worried about, and what his study covers. The theory revolves around the idea that exercise cardio causes small amounts of damage in the short term. Then these small injuries turn into more significant long-term changes that can hurt your heart, blood vessels, and even kill you. This is thought to occur in a four-step process. Number one, endurance exercise places a higher than normal load on your heart. It increases your oxygen and energy needs. It raises stress hormones, heart rate, blood pressure, and strains the walls of your heart. It also causes oxidative stress and inflammation. The heart is starved for oxygen and overwhelmed with these demands, and in some cases is irreversibly scarred by the exertion. Number two, after each workout, your heart is tired from the effort and heart function drops. There are often changes in electrical activity, heart rate, and an increase in blood markers of heart damage. The inflammation and oxidative stress from the effort damages your heart, blood lipids, and blood vessels. Number three, with enough training, your heart increases in size, develops erratic electrical activity, loses some of its ability to function, and develops small patches of scar tissue that grow with more training. The blood vessels around the heart and throughout other parts of the body also become harder and develop thicker deposits of calcium and plaque. And number four, over time, these long-term changes increase the risk of developing heart attack, coronary and peripheral artery disease, and in some cases, sudden cardiac arrest and early death. Doing less than this is not considered to be harmful. So, how much is too much? I imagine there's a lot of exercises that can damage your heart under this theory, not just cycling. And the study itself is based around running. And O'Keefe suggests people don't make a habit of running marathons because the training for not a healthy long-term exercise pattern—that is, going out and running 
three, four, five hours at a time. It's just too much, um, too much exercise. Three to four hours, hey, that is pretty common in cycling circles. One thing I will point out is that O'Keefe talks about a greater risk to people over 45, which for me comes back to the health scale and why you ride. If you keep riding for a long time, I imagine that eventually you'll be riding at 45 if you're not there now. So it's definitely something to keep in the back of your mind as the years tick away. But if three or four hours may be dangerous, what's the sweet spot? Keep in mind that he's talking about running here, which can be easily applied to cycling in some senses. There's a couple papers coming out in the next two months, and we're publishing a couple papers as well, that are going to change the thinking about exercise. This is one of them by Chip Levee, one of my colleagues and maybe my best friend. Uh, and he, uh, he's from down in Oshner Clinic in New Orleans. But So this was a look, a look at 50,000 people, 52,000 people, followed for decades, on average 15 years, but up to 30 years. And they compared the runners were 14,000, the non-runners were 38,000. And what they found was that runners lived longer, 19% longer. But if we look closer, you'll see, compared the non-runners here, the risk of death, the reference is one. If you ran more than 25 miles per week, your benefits went away. You only got this 25 to 27% reduction in mortality if you ran between, say, 5 and 20 miles a week, ideally 10 to 15 miles a week. And when we looked at the running speed, sure enough, if you ran too fast over 8 miles an hour, which is a 7.30 pace, the benefits went away. They weren't worse than the non-runners, but heck, if you're running that much, you'd think you'd get some health benefits. No, you have to back off to a six or seven mile an hour pace, which is about a 10 minute mile an hour jog. Okay? And interestingly, how many days a week? Seven days a week if you're running, the risk, the benefits go away. You need to run fewer days, two to five ideally. But these sweet spots that he's talking about, 25 miles, which is around 40 kilometers per week, where the benefits start to go away, or ideal is around 10 to 20. 10 to 15 miles, 16 to 24 kilometers per week. But it's not just distance, it's speed as well. And too fast, over 8 miles, 12 kilometers an hour, where is going to cause you trouble, where 6 to 7 miles or 9 to 11 kilometers per hour pace is ideal. And also frequency, 2 to 5 days are ideal over 7 days a week. And when looking at trying to convert the running metrics into cycling metrics, it starts to get a little tricky because there are other factors involved, such as wind resistance or the speed that you're going. So I'll just go back to what the researchers suggest time-wise, which is avoiding anything over an hour and not more than seven hours weekly of hard endurance training. Now, for me, that's not even enough to be a serious cat three or higher which i'm not going to stand behind this and look at endurance training and say forget about your cycling goals altogether the good news is there has been an encouraging study that if it turns out that all of this is correct in the future there may be a possibility of turning it around but as you'll find out there is one main variable in it actually being effective for humans there's one last study i want to tell you about This was a study this last year that looked at mice, and they hammered these mice. They ran them to exhaustion every day for four months. And you know what? This replicated those same findings we saw on Micah True and these other findings I've been telling you about. But what provides hope to me is that when they took these guys off their iron mouse training regimens, their hearts came back down to normal. The fibrosis even melted away, and their ventricular irritability and the atrial fibrillation tendencies, all gone. Well, 
I'm a man, not a mouse, but here's hoping maybe that works in humans too. So what is the conclusion here? There may not be any concrete takeaways from this study, but what it does do is open the door to a mindset shift. And in some ways, it's about finding your why first and then your balance. So if you ride a bike for health, there's a lesson there. And there's also a lesson there in what are your plans for the future. We've discussed age and performance on Semi Pro before, but what if your plans are to work hard when you're younger and then fade out over the long tail? Then it's still unknown. Or what if you plan to work hard and then stop? It's still unknown. But what if you want to stay active over a longer period of time? This is kind of what it's trying to hone in on here with the sweet spots that we spoke about. But what does any of this have to do with performance? Because overall, yes, we are a cycling performance show. O'Keefe has a crazy notion that it's a clear-cut choice between short-term performance and long-term health. And I've got to say, I'm not actually convinced yet, but would you be willing to give up on your cycling goals to live longer? The truth is that exercise does confer powerful benefits. And the belief is more is is better. But we're learning that more is not better in this case. Okay? One of my good friends, Megan Newcomer, is a triathlete from New York City. She grew up next door. She's a dear family friend. She's one of the top triathletes in the country. She did 10 races last year. She's 30. She won half of them. The other half, she collapsed in heat exhaustion, dangerous heat exhaustion near the end of the race. I told Megan, Meg, if you want to be, if you want to be in the real Olympics, which you very well could be, you just keep hammering away. Maybe up your game a bit. But if you want to be alive and well, for the, for the 2052 Olympics, 40 years from now, you need to back it way off. Back your pace off and find some healthier exercise pattern. Alrighty, let's move to the tech hacks and products section. And I've got to say, one annoyance over the last couple of weeks have been squealing brakes on the CX cannies on the bike that I borrowed off my buddy. And I've got to tell you, absolute pain in the ass, but... The simple fix, the simple toe-in. I don't know about you, but I've fiddled around for a long time and I've found the absolute best way to fix it. And it was so simple that I had to pass it on just in case any of you are missing this. Just find some cardboard. Fold some cardboard in half so you get some thickness. Slot it in the last third of your pad. Loosen the pads off. Tighten them back in again. This should be a one-handed job. If it's not, then you're going to need to re-grease the brake pad anchor bolt, and then you should get enough grip to make that a one-handed job. i got to tell you, it makes life so much nicer when you're cruising down and you don't have annoying squealing brakes, but hopefully discs will be coming in soon to replace the need to do this. Although brakes can be so embarrassingly loud, when you get some water on them or even after a wash, that absolutely kills me. But that is another story for another day. Let's get to that quote from the top of the show. Now, have you ever had any run-ins with fans? I feel the guy's one guy, his glasses pinched and uh, things like that. Have you ever had any negative things happen with fans on the road? Actually, not on the tour, but the Giro d'Italia, the last stage in Milan one year. A guy grabbed my glasses off my head right in front of me. So I should give him back now, and he didn't, so I'll give him a quick one, and then <laughs> I've got my glasses back, I'll give you that much. Oh, well, there's a clear message to all the fans out there. Uh, don't don't pitch your sunnies, or you'll cop one from Brett from Shep. <laughs> That's right, mate. Man, they wouldn't want to cop one from uh, Hushoff either. 
<laughs> no, no, well, I think Cavendish worked that out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's Brett from Shep, Lancaster. One of the lucky ones that has got another two years with Orica Greenedge. He's 34 years old, so he might wrap up his cycling career when it comes to the end of this contract. But I remember the dude storming around the Shep track trying to break the record, and that was years ago, and the dude is still cranking it out. So good luck in the next couple of seasons, Brett from Shep. I hope to be hearing more about you, and definitely good luck winning that World Teams Time Trial Championship. And that is it for this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 